Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright. It's great to have you joining us, and you and I are here together with Pastor Jim. Yes, we're all together. That's right. The three of us, or however <laughs> many. Uh, Hopefully no. more than two. Yeah, we, we know you're out there. We love you, and uh, we, we appreciate you. It's good to bring you into this conversation. We're excited to have it about what God has been teaching us yes. in the Word. Yes. We're, we're getting back into the scriptures that we opened up this past Sunday, as well as the, the theological concepts and ideas. That's what we do on the cutting room floor is, you know, 40 minutes is not enough to contain all of the mysteries of the scriptures Whew. and all the mysteries of God. So uh, there's plenty to talk about. Amen. And, and uh, I love these conversations because I always, you know, even whether it's in life group or here on the cutting room floor, uh, talking about the word, mm-hmm. it's, it helps us to reckon with it and to unravel things in us that need to be unraveled yeah. and to get clarity on how we can live it out. So um, I've been really excited to talk about your, your sermon from this last week, which was the second sermon in the series on the love that launched Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it was a sermon about God's unfailing love, Yes, which uh, you, you, you talked a lot about the song Reckless Love in your introduction, for example. <laughs> If in the circles that I run in, people know that I love the song. Oh yeah. So I'm always the one who's like, "Oh, we should play it," and everyone's <laughs> like, "No," and I'm like, "Oh, but it would be so great." <laughs> so that that's kind of where I come out of, and it's you know when I was in in college, that song came out, and so I knew all about the controversies, and uh, you know, <laughs> are they going to play it in chapel? And there was not strict oversight about about which songs we play and didn't play at Taylor. <laughs> And so uh, some bands would play it, other bands wouldn't play it, yeah. but I, uh, it wrecked me, for lack of a better term, oh, the, yeah. the song did. And so I, I, it was very special to me personally. Yes. So as a shepherding element, I understood why, hey, you know, we want to be clear about some things, which uh, is one of the reasons why I loved your sermon. So, oh, good. I, yeah, I... Um... Did not know that about you that you love that song. Oh yeah, I, you you could easily fit the profile of <laughs> the person who would not love it because you care so much about theology, and I think that's the heart of most of the people who mm-hmm. have trouble with the song is that they're defending God and and for sure you know I I get that I I can get that way but um, I think they've misunderstood what Corey was trying to do with the song Corey Asbury yeah. And I also think they misunderstand God. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm helpless <laughs> with the song. I mean, I, I, yeah, uh, it gets you. I can't. I, I will. I will never get over the, the love of God. <laughs> Hopefully not. For, for me, you know, I. Hopefully I, not. On that day, you should revoke my ordination <laughs> and all, all that sort of stuff because it's just. I don't know. I. It also just really connects with my story, though, um, which which I've shared a little bit about on the podcast. But I, God's pursuit of me has felt reckless. I, everyone else would have given up. You know, it, it's how it seems to me. And so I really, uh, you were speaking my language. <laughs> That's actually brings up an interesting thought. I, I wonder if there's a parallel between those of us who have wandered or have mm. become, you know, really aware of our sin. And those who, you know, 
maybe grew up in a Christian home in such a way that they never rebelled or they they um, maybe were more of a compliant personality by nature. You know, I, I know people who have said, you know, I don't have a testimony like yours, Jim. You know, mm -hmm. I, I never rebelled. I always went to church. I always obeyed mom and dad. You know, I was always the good, good kid. Uh, and it's not like they were leaning on their own righteousness. It's just that they grasped the gospel mm -hmm. and because of their personality and because of their family and because of themselves that you know they they walked into that you yeah know? we might call that generational blessing in, yeah. in some sense in, in yeah. a way that's what the that's what the, the scriptures are hoping for a family yeah they're not hoping that every family member rebels and you know needs to experience the radical grace of god um, because they're such sinners. But on the other hand, no one can become a Christian if they're, they don't become aware of their sin. Yeah, now we're quoting Tim Keller from Latin, but, you know, two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, but. so uh, I, I wonder if there's a, a parallel between people who were good, ki good, good kids. You know, I, I mean, you were a good kid, I was a good kid, except for some rebellious seasons right. and some, you know, wrestling with, with some sin that was particularly uh, getting me off track. And, um, but even so, you know, I remember A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said something about, um, you can always tell a saint because the, the deeper they walk with God, the more aware of their sin. So, you know, if a person is really wrestling with what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, mm. if a person is really advancing and becoming more like Christ, they should become more aware of their sin because as as I pursue Christ like this, I become more and more aware how big that gap is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I am growing and yet, man, it's like the more I get to know you, Jesus, the, the more the holier you seem and the, the more the distant you seem. Like I'll never be able to measure up. Look, look how much I've grown and I still yeah. fall so short. And so, you know, I, I grieve over a person who feels like, you know, I, I don't really have that big of a sin problem. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, it reminds me of uh, some of Paul's words in, in First Timothy, I believe, which are so interesting. It's very personal to Paul, but then he has this phrase where he says, you know, I, I'm the chief of sinners. Oh. He's, ta he's unpacking that language. He, and, but then he says, those of us who are mature should take such a view. Yes. And some people take that with the Former, you know, what he just said. Some people say, no, it actually goes better with what he says next. Yeah, yeah. But good. I have, I mean, personally, where I, I've been ministered to by Paul's language there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I wouldn't compare myself with Paul in the negative or in the positive. <laughs> so, you know, Paul is... Have I murdered anybody? Not yet. You know, and I hope not to. But... Hopefully not in the next 30 minutes either. Right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh man. Um yeah, I'm not wearing my Roman centurion stuff. I've got it. Uh but so um but but yeah, I I think I and cuz I've wrestled with this a lot. A lot of this so, some of it feels like my uh, you know, I I feel like I've got a very sensitive conscience and I know friends of mine who do mm -hmm. where we it feels like we we are all struggling toward having a, a humble estimation of ourselves. Yeah. Some folks, like I now put myself in this category, struggle from the bottom up where we're like, I, how could God love me? Mm -hmm. And every time we fail, it feels like just a, another reason to believe that, you know, this is, 
just ridiculous love. And then some folks struggle from the top of that, where, where they have a higher estimation of themselves. Or, right. like the, versus the guy I, I've told stories about who I, I lived in a nursing home, and I was ministering to that group of people, and he pulled me aside. I was a young preacher, and he says, <laughs> he said, I really appreciate what you have to say. The only problem is I've never sinned. Mm. <laughs> I was just so unprepared for that. And so I was, first of all, so flabbergasted. Yeah, I, I didn't have a response. I'm, I was like stuttering. Well, what, I mean, sure, you're, no, no, I've never sinned, mm. and uh, you know, never lied. Nope, never lied. Never lusted. Nope, never lusted. Are you married? Yeah, I'd love to talk to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he maintained throughout the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. I left the nursing home with him still maintaining. I've never sinned. Huh. <laughs> Only met one person like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, the Bible does talk about that kind of person. I guess you don't think <laughs> those. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah. I, I feel like it's, I'm not quite brash enough to say something like this, but you could say, "Well, I think you may just have sinned." You could turn to First John. You know, yeah. anyone who claims who to claims be to have sin. no sin, yeah, uh, you need some some convicting grace. It's yeah. the kind of grace you need. That's right. <laughs> but but when it comes to that that idea of obviously that, that we unpacked on, on Sunday out of this idea of God's unfailing love, that, that it could be reckless or it could be described that way. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like the exchange that God makes Jesus's life for my life. Oh. I mean, is, is ridiculous. Yes. Like there have been times in prayer where I, I was just cut to the heart. And I was like, God, why would you mm-hmm. do this? Mm-hmm. It, does, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It feels like such a horrible investment, <laughs> you know? Um, you make a terrible investment counselor. Right. You know, it's, everybody else is like, the house is condemned, forget about it. And and God's like, oh, no, I'll take it. Yeah. And uh, it's just, mm-hmm. he, he Tim Keller has a quote, God doesn't love us because we're lovely, but to make us lovely. Mm-hmm. And I have always loved that. Just these sweet yeah. truths to me that I, I, you know, God has ministered to me. So, so for that reason, I, I didn't take a whole lot of convincing on Sunday, <laughs> but, um, I know some people do and, and there, you know, there are brothers and sisters as well. And I, I understand as you do where, where they're coming from. Sure. Sure. Uh, and we'll, we'll maybe talk more about this as we get into the podcast. But one of the things I wanted to do on the front end is talk about some of the biblical language for unfailing love that you spent a lot of time unpacking, mm-hmm. which is in the Hebrew, chesed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my family, that sermon that you referenced is legendary. <laughs> my parents will will uh, spit a lot when they say, they'll go <laughs> chesed and all that sort of stuff. Exaggerate, yeah. But... Um, <clears throat> Uh, and obviously you've preached quite a lot on that phrase, and I wondered if there was more nuance or more background that you wanted to pull out for us. Um, well, uh, my, my favorite places, to I did, which I did not go to Sunday, is one of the places where God reveals himself first. Mm. So that would be Exodus. And uh, Exodus 34. And it was so hard for me not to, re- to go to this text um, and you probably know which passage I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, Moses, God, God appears to Moses out um, in the wilderness mm-hmm. and through a burning bush. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, a, it's an epiphany where God, um, ex, you know, a theophany, I'm sorry, a theophany where God shows up. A God appearance is what that literally means. Theos, theos, um, 
Theophany-like appearance. So mm. a god of a Theophany is a god appearance, but it's, it's in this burning bush, and it it starts this this conversation that for Moses that eventually leads into um, God calling him to deliver the people, and, and it's, it starts this intimate relationship that just carries through the book of Exodus. And then you get to Exodus 34, and Moses has gotten so used to talking so intimately with God. Mm. The, the, way they inter- the way they interact and the relational languages, maybe, maybe Abraham and Moses are the only two people that talk like that to God. <laughs> and it's they're fascinating. Um, but he says in verse uh, thirty-three, twelve, you know, you've been saying, "Lead these people," but you have not let me know where you will send me. You have you have said, "I know you by name," and you have found favor with me. Then he says, "If you have, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, mm. so I may know you and continue to find favor with you." And <clears throat> God says, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." You know, and Moses says, "If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here." And it it begins to <clears throat> get deeper and deeper, and then down verse eighteen, Moses says, "Now show me your glory," <laughs> which no one's supposed to be able to see mm-hmm. God's glory. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and live, and God says in nineteen, "I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence." I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. <laughs> and uh, I, I'll stop there because it's, it just gets better and better. i got to get to verse um, uh, 5, then verse 34, then chapter 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in chesed. There's that, there's that <laughs> word. This is the, the self-revelation of God. That'd be an amazing yeah. moment, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. God is revealing himself and speaking so clearly face to face. Where is it that, that God says, with Moses, I speak to as face to face? Is that is it in this passage? I can't. I guess I just can't remember where that's at. But it's there's a place. But here, this is what he's doing, and this Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one, um, gracious, uh, Elohim, slow to anger, and then this abounding in love, and um, and maintaining that kind of love to thousands. So, so. <clears throat> This is one of the primary places where this, this idea of chesed shows up. And this, it's this language of covenant. And I, I didn't talk a lot about covenant. I, t- I did a little bit uh, Sunday. But uh, this, this language of, of God entering into covenant with Moses. Mm. And then, you know, then having him lead the people into a covenant with him. And, and this, this faithful love, this faithful to the covenant that yeah. he's making which is all based upon his, his own character. So God's faithful to his character. And so th- this is the root of where Hesed will go for the rest of the Old Testament. That it's rooted in God's revelation. It's rooted in God's character. It's rooted in God's, the, 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 the history of God demonstrating his love. Here he's proclaiming it, his faithfulness. And then we're going to see that over and over again with the, with the nation of Israel. 
Um, yeah, because you know, remember, we, we, there hasn't been a whole lot of proof of that mm -hmm. up to this point. In fact, that's one of the things that people are crying out to God is show us your faithfulness. Where are you? You've abandoned us here in Egypt. You know, we're, we're slaves. Where are you? And so, you know, there's a lot of people who are saying God's not faithful and he's not, you know, just not showing up. Where is he? And now he begins to move. Yeah. It's like, gets excited. Yeah. And this is the launching of this, this the real color of this, this, this word. Yeah, and I don't know of another. You know, I don't know every Hebrew word, but I don't know of another Hebrew word that has this much depth mm. and breadth. Um, there are so many words and phrases that that we need to describe the the color in this word. Yeah, and um, um, and I think if there was a, a word like that, I would know of it because sure. I first discovered this word. And uh, a, a book of Hebrew, uh, by Andrew Hill called Hebrew and Greek Words. <laughs> and uh, I was just, you know, uh, doing a, a paper in an exegesis class on, on, you know, the words of Scripture. And I was supposed to pick one or two mm. and write an exegetical paper on it. Yeah. And so uh, I still have that book in my library. And um, I, could, I can see it right now. It's a blue cover. And <laughs> I was just, as I'm reading this about this word, I'm like, you know, I'm a young theologue. I'm a yeah. young student. And I was just like. What a word! Yeah, and you know, and it, what I've never heard this, you know, um, and just really falling in love with the color of this word, the, the, again, the depth of this word, the breadth, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I can, those were good days. That is, that's awesome. I was going to ask you, when did you first start? Yeah, thinking about this word. So that's it, that's a long time. Then. Yeah, we're talking forty years ago. Wow, we're, we're talking. Uh, yeah, this is nineteen eighty. Five, hmm. uh, so yeah, four, 39 years ago. <laughs> and so then, what, obviously, so the word hesed doesn't appear in the New Testament because it's a, it's a Hebrew word. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and, well, so in my personal study, as I don't, I don't know Hebrew, uh, so when I study in the Old Testament, a lot of times I will look at the Septuagint, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So here's yeah. a genuine question. What do you think... Or do, do you know which Greek words are most often used to translate chesed? Yes. And how does that impact our reading of those words in the New yeah, Testament? It, it's mostly agape, but also ilias, which yes. is mm -hmm. for mercy. Right. And so um, those are the two uh, uh, the two most prominent definitions. Yeah. Uh, some some, some uh, Septuagint scholars actually will, will actually use a phrase uh, which shows up in, you know, in English. So unfailing love. Yeah. Or... Um, steadfast love. So they're they're having to use two words, which are both full of great meaning. Um, uh, so, like for instance, uh, the Septuagint, if it uses the phrase septu um, steadfast love, it will have that word steadfast. And I don't know what the Greek word for steadfast is. I don't know. But then you know agape. You know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> or agapao. So, um, yeah, I, I I think there's like you know twenty different phrases or, or words that um, Bible dictionaries or lexicons will, you know, supply for the, this word chesed. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> They've got their work cut out for them. Yeah. Which is, which is really cool. And I, 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 this is another question I have no idea about the answer to, but, you know, there, there are some times where in the scriptures, the language that gets used is borrowed from the culture, mm -hmm. where they take it and they, they say, you know what, this actually is a good way for us to talk about what's going on with our God. Mm -hmm. But there are other times where it's just the opposite. A word is completely, 
you know, it's not used hardly at all, except for in Scripture, where they're well, sort of coining it or bringing it. Agape is one of those words. That right. actually mm-hmm. is a word that does not get a whole lot of use in Greek literature. There's, yeah. you know, some people say there's four Greek words for love. Other people say there's uh, six. Other people say there's seven. One person says there's nine. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but you know, the, 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 the popular words are eros, um, phileo, phileo mm-hmm. storge. Yep. Um, those are the, the the real popular Greek words in Greek literature for love, and agape is one of the least used. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, in in Greek literature, it gets translated usually as unconditional. Um, um, what's the other more popular word for for agape in Greek literature? Um, uh, I just lost it. But the, the primary word is unconditional, which yeah. is a great way to start talking about the love of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's another real popular Hebrew word for for uh, for for love that refers to God and other people, other love relationships, and that's ahav, or sometimes the hmm. the the bav gets translated with the bet, so abav. Um, but um, and that's also a very colorful and bright uh, word, hmm. um, and and gets used to describe God's love a lot. So it's not yeah. just chesed. Uh, the chesed word is used for this covenant love, this um, this love that is is special to the the, the character of God. Yeah. And so yeah. It, what what I love about digging into this word, I, I think it's so significant that, for example, in Exodus thirty four and thirty five, um, and in other places in the in the scriptures, it the idea of love gets so closely intimated with like in God's describing of himself or in, you know, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I, God is love. Mm -hmm. I am. And yet, you know, that's not all that God is. And so sometimes in in theology, we, we, we can be careful because we we don't want to hoist one element of God's character over the others. That's how you get caricatures. Right. And so it's, uh, and, and yet it seems like over and over again, um, you know, this, this idea of God's love, his unfailing love, his, his, faithfulness to his covenant because of his love yeah. you know th- but there's also a lot of you know we could go into holiness as well and talk about how god describes himself as holy mm-hmm. uh and how that gets closely associated with hi- who he is mm-hmm. um so love isn't the only thing right but it is it's a thing i'm very happy about <laughs> <laughs> um yeah amen uh so an- another thing I, I i've been thinking about with respect to the sermon um as you were unpacking this idea of love and talking about some of the difficulties we have, we have with describing it or accepting it. Um, you made this statement that I want to, I want to talk about, which is that the Bible doesn't focus on definitions of God's love, mm. but it focuses on yeah. pictures of it. Right. Pictures and portraits. Yeah. T- tell us again, what, what did you mean mm. with that phrase? I think I, I used that towards the end when I was mm-hmm. um, trying to help people see that, you know, that uh, a lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is very poetic. Yep. And uh, and it's, it's no accident that you know the Old Testament being written in Hebrew, that the Hebrew language, when you contrast it or compare it to the Greek language, the Hebrew language is much more poetic. Now, there's a lot of Greek poetry. But the nature of the language of Hebrew is that it's much more poetic. Yeah. It's much more abstract. Um, it's broader, whereas Greek mm-hmm. is much more precise, much more logical, much more linear. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The the thing that I always find funny, which I don't know, like I said, I don't. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but 
in in Hebrew to to emphasize something, they'll sometimes say it twice. Mm -hmm. So like the Song of Songs means the highest song, yeah. or it's it, rather than saying it's very big, they would say it's big, big. <laughs> Whereas in Greek, they, you know, they, they've got all these prepositions. Mega. Yeah, it's mega big or whatever. It would be, so, uh, and Paul especially likes to invent words. Yeah. Uh, uh, especially in Ephesians, there's a couple of words that start with the prefixes. Prefixes, maybe. Then he has another prefix, like yeah. two prefixes, mm -hmm. before he gets to the, the word. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> he invented quite a few words. But that, that just show, showcases some of that difference. You yeah, know, Hebrew. It's it's trying to use stuff that we can sense or grasp or see mm -hmm. to try to uh, communicate rea other realities. And especially when we're talking about God, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the good of the Hebrew language is, is more poetic because, you know, God is not someone that you can put in a box. You can't define him, you know, with, a, with, with kind of precision that we, we prefer. You know, uh, God is outside and bigger than. Yeah. And so uh, that's what the whole discipline of theology is, is trying to to put words to and to systematize you know, the biblical record of what the Bible says about God. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we can sometimes get ourselves in trouble when, when you know, and I'm this way and you're this way, we love precision, we love words, we love to explain things clearly, and, and that's, that's good, but we can get ourselves in trouble with trying to... to uh, limit God to just words, yeah, and to limit Him to with just phrases. He's bigger than you know. God's before language. You know? <laughs> you know, language was in, was invented to try to to, to you know put um, describe reality. Mm -hmm. And well, you're going to run out of words when you try to describe the reality of God. Yeah. So I'm certainly not making an argument for uh, <coughs> we don't need words. We should just go to hieroglyphs and 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 art. You know. But noises, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I also think that we need more than words. Yeah. Um, and this is why I, we can talk more about this later. Why I think art is so important. Mm. Um, but you know, art comes out of people trying to grapple with the breadth of the revelation of God. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this idea of the Bible describing God in pictures, so. You know, God describing him as creation, you know, creating. So, um, the, so the Bible is saying God is a creator. The Bible, what? Pictures God creating. The Bible opens mm -hmm. with God creating the heavens and the earth and describing that. And, you know, you just think about those first words in, in Genesis, those first chapters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Wow! <laughs> Don't let's not move on. It's just yeah. that's so. Right now, we just heard about the power of God. Right? Who can do that? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. The authority of God to I have no way mm -hmm. of even categorizing. It. I I can't speak something into existence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, light. You know. Yeah. Uh, and this goes on and on and this. So we're, we're introduced to the, uh, to the power of God. The on the presence of God, the, uh, the, the the majesty of God, mm -hmm. you know, without actually using those words, right? It, it pictures, and that's just the beginning, and it, it goes from there, and we begin to see that God is a God of order, and mm -hmm. He's uh, He's a God 
of uh, uh, blessing. He blesses, you know, Adam and Eve, and he's yeah. a God of accountability, <laughs> and he's a God who has standards and a God of holiness, and uh, and he's a relational God. You know, we're we're capturing all these truths about God in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, but it's all because it's it's telling a story. It's painting a picture. Right. Of God as creator, as God mm-hmm. involved with creation, and God as the the relator, and there's just yeah. there's p- piles of piles of pictures happening, and then through the rest of Genesis, you get this this God who builds makes covenants and mm-hmm. who wants to relate people in intimate ways, not just be in a relationship, but he, 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 there's longing. Right. This is a God that longs. Whoa, mm-hmm. you know. So there's there's all these things just keep tumbling out of scripture. And the farther you go, the more color that you get, the more pictures you get. And um, you start getting God the, the lover, God the warrior, you know, God the, uh, um, uh, the poet, you know, uh, God the artist. You know, mm-hmm. all these, these things just start tumbling out of Scripture. Yeah. And so, so you're, you're compiling a picture of God. Um, uh, as you walk through scripture and which is a, a very important uh, theological truth for us to grasp and that is there there's no one place that you can go in scripture to say you know ex- well there is one place yeah I, uh, <laughs> that's, <clears throat> all of God is contained in this one word and, and that one word would be Jesus <laughs> but uh, even Jesus you know you know well I can't see him and I don't have a physical relationship with him so you know, I, I need words and pictures as well about mm-hmm. Jesus. But, you know, the, in the Old Testament, you have a, a revelation of God that's progressive. And mm. that's, that's a really important thing to grasp yeah. when we're trying to figure out who is God. And a lot of times when people uh, rail against God, they're railing against an incomplete revelation of God. They're only mm. picking out a particular aspect of God and they're just <clears throat> upset about that. You know, God the warrior. You know, God's so angry and God's such a, you know such a uh, capricious God. You've only taken this small, incomplete revelation of God and you're trying to tell us that's what he's like. You know, read the rest of the Bible. Yeah. Read just, yeah. just even in the, even the Old Testament. <clears throat> when people you know, say these characters about the God of the Old Testament is a God of, of war and a God of, of um, uh, law, you know, there's no grace, well, then you haven't read the Old Testament. <laughs> you know? yeah. From the very beginning, he's a God mm-hmm. of grace. And uh, the, the, his relationship with Israel starts off with grace. Before he yeah. gives the law, he delivers them out of Egypt. That's grace. Or in the, the book of Jonah, I love to oh, yeah. study because it's the whole premise is Jonah's like, God is too good. I know he's going to forgive these people. <laughs> that's right. So I'm going to get out of Dodge. That, that, that's the, the whole he's premise is graceful. the goodness of God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is... Uh, is that, is that in the Old Testament, Kelly? Jonah? Jonah? Last I checked. I think it is. They, they, they didn't, you know, I haven't studied the table of contents recently. But. Yeah, it is. No, no, this is this is such a, I mean, there's so many threads here that you could pull to, yeah. I mean, we could have <laughs> really a lot of podcasts on what we just, what you just shared. But, you know, the, the, the revelation of God in Christ, um, you know, that that's where we would say the fullness. And yet, you know, I mean, God is so good that he reveals himself in, he he can't reveal himself like like it says in Exodus thirty five. He can't just show us his face. Yeah. So what he does is he puts flesh on to to show himself uh, to us. But but he also doesn't rush to it. Mm-hmm. He's he's a God who enjoys story, who enjoys. I mean, he delights in the the process of salvation. Yes. And so, 
that's one of the reasons why I love that we're reading through the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. even though it brings up some uncomfortable questions, is because I believe that as we wrestle with it, as people have done for millennia, Mm -hmm. that that we're being shaped by God's self-revelation. And where, so here's a fun question, where, as I check my watch, where, (laughs) sometimes it's hard to tell how long we've been talking (laughs) about this desire that we have, and speaking of you and I, to to define and to, to just the beauty that we find in in the in, in the particulars, where does that come from? Is yeah. that is that a universal human thing? Is that a Western thing? Yeah. And and why doesn't here's here's another question that maybe will tee you up a little bit easier. But why didn't God just give us the handbook on theology? <laughs> why did He reveal Himself progressively through story rather than just, than just giving us? You know, God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. Right. God yeah. is omniscient. And just list his attributes. Well, let me start with the first question because that, that was my... Uh, I like that question better than the second one. Great, okay, yeah. Because um, I think there's multiple layers as to why mm-hmm. we grasp after <clears throat> definitions and, uh, and, and language. Um, and I think, the, I think the deepest part is it's because we want to, to know uh, and want to be known. There's mm-hmm. this deep uh, calls unto deep, this desire to know and be known. Um, you know, God is a God who reveals himself, so he wants to be known. Well, one of the ways he reveals himself is by creating, and the height of his creation is humans, so made in his image. And so when God creates us in his image, it's, he creates us to know. He creates us to be known, because that's the way he is. So I also think that's why that one of the deepest parts of us is trust. Um, deeply knowing and deeply, deeply trusting go hand in hand. Mm. And uh, so you, to know God is to trust Him. To trust Him is to know Him. Mm. And when a person in relationship doesn't want to be known, when they give you the, you know, the stiff arm, it's because there's a lack of trust. I don't trust you. I don't trust what you're going to do with this knowledge of me. And so I'm going to protect this how much you know about me because until I can trust mm. and that that right there is a, is a whole course on relationships right there yeah <laughs> that so many people are in this porcupine dance of you know as soon as I get close the, the quills come out because I'm a, I've been burned I don't trust you and I don't want you to see me and to know me because if you do you, you may not love me you may reject me and so that's that that's a trust I don't trust that you won't reject me and that gets extended to God as well is I'm afraid to be known, and yet I deeply desire to be known. Yeah. And that's the other part of that dance is, you know, again, let's talk about male, female, or even just, just friendships. I want so badly for you to know me and love me, but I'm so afraid to, for you to know me and love me. And it's, it's just that, that, that tension, that's that <laughs> angst that's just, ugh, it's so, yeah. so powerful and so palpable. Well, the, the deepest and most important relationship is the relationship with our Creator. And so it's funny, as if we can keep God from knowing us. You know, He knows us, right. as the poet David says in Psalm 139 so well. Um, he does know us, and yet, and here's, now I'm going to get to the second level of why I think we want to, be, we want to know God. Um, it's not only because we've been made to know Him, we've been made to know and be known, but the second reason is because of sin. Mm. Uh, we want to know at some level because when we know something, we have a little bit of control over it. 
Mm. And they're the deepest part of our sin is this independence of I want to be in control. Yeah. Even control of God. And so, you know, that's the biggest reason why people reject God and won't, you know, won't accept God's offer of love is because I have to surrender. And that's the hardest thing to do. Uh, I, I don't want to wholly surrender. I'll surrender a little bit you know, here and there, but go all in? Oh no, I'm not going to be that vulnerable because not only now am I so known, but also I've lost control. And that's a scary place for a person to be, but that's the only way in to a relationship with God yeah. is to surrender that control. And it's the hardest thing for people to let go of. Mm. So it's, it's an odd answer I'm giving you that I, we want to know because we're made in the image of God, but we also want to know because it helps us control. Yeah. But um, that's, uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and I agree. And I think there's uh, one, of my, one of my favorite scriptures in it is in Acts 17. And mm. to, to paraphrase, God puts mankind on the earth to seek after him. Mm-hmm. And, and I haven't looked at the Greek here, but it says, and perhaps to find him. <laughs> I know, isn't that interesting? It just, <laughs> I, uh, I remember when we were at the Areopagus looking at this, that's the setting yes. where, and I'm just getting blown away and perhaps to find him. For, which is the, the this is a clause that grounds that mm-hmm. purpose of God, for he is not far from each one of us. Yes. So there's this, I mean, that that speaks so much to my personal experience as a believer, mm-hmm. that um, I, there are times where I feel like I'm pressing up against the wall, and I'm like, God, where are you? <laughs> and uh, and then there are times where I feel the warmth through the glass uh, that's dark, that's hard to see through. And so it's, uh, he's not far from us. Yeah. And yet, our experiences were seeking perhaps to find, yes. which doesn't feel... And Acts, Acts 17 is one of the high points of revelation of the character of God. Mm. What Paul ends up saying in that Areopagus speech is there are so many layers and so many facets of the character of God that get that come out in that little <clears throat> talk. Yeah. It's really a remarkable <laughs> passage for, for many reasons. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I also, another element to this wanting to define things um, in addition, because I totally agree with what you've shared in that it, it, evidence is at, in Acts 17, we're created to seek God. Mm-hmm. And, and I've found a lot of comfort personally from, <clears throat> I think when when we're puzzling after God, that we're doing something. Oh, I like using the word puzzle as a verb. Yes. Ooh, I like that. When we're my pu- daughter, my oldest daughter, uses the word puzzle as a verb. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Caleb. Yes. but But I think when we're doing that, we're doing some, I think when God sees us, he, he's not thinking to himself, man, I can't believe they don't get it yet. I think he's thinking they're getting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is what, this is a part of what I had in mind for humans. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we need to be afraid of this. And a lot of times this gets brought up when we think of the idea of mystery, which different streams of the church are mm-hmm. more or less comfortable with mystery Yes. and with beauty yeah. as a sort of as an end. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about you know, back back to, to contextualize this conversation as we're thinking about describing God and uh, the, the the blessing that we have received in Scripture, which which gives us language to use to describe God. That's right. The Bible is a written word. Yes, we, which it's such a blessing. But also, it, it's it, there are elements of art artistry 
in yeah. that right. blessed revelation. Yes. And so when we're thinking about mystery or mm -hmm. trying to describe things that really we cannot describe with language, different streams of the church are more or less comfortable with that. Yeah. And uh, I, I always have found it fascinating to, to track that. I, I audited a class in Eastern Orthodox theology, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. they are at the opposite end yes. of the spectrum of yes. us. They're very okay with mystery, very okay with more Art. than okay, they they embrace it. They, they yes, mm -hmm. they emphasize it. <clears throat> and so uh, sometimes I try to uh, you know get off my high horse, my Western high horse, and be like, you know what, I we can get a little bit creative with the way that we describe God, as long as it's not against mm -hmm. what what has been revealed. I remember the first time I discovered this, I was talking with a, a friend who was a, a, a pastor. Uh, I was uh, pastoring in Gardner, Kansas, mm. so this is four or five years into my new life as a pastor. Yeah. So very green. Um, and I met this um, charismatic Pentecostal pastor who had uh, left his church in order to join the Greek Orthodox Church. And, I, and at, at that time, my understanding and therefore appreciation of the Greek Orthodox Church was next to nothing. Mm. And I, I was, it was, I'm embarrassed to even say this today, but I was like, you know, you're an apostate. What, what, what have you done? You know, you've, you, you've gone to the Greek Orthodox Church. It's cold, you know, dead, you know, there's nothing there. And he was like, oh, no, you know, and his, his eyes were like, you know, lighting up. And, and as he explained to me why he made this change, he said, you know, I, I was in this, leading this church about, you know, talking about the intimacy of God and getting to know God. And, mm. and we're singing all these songs about God. And, and you know, there are songs that are you know, really familiar. And God is just our buddy and, and our deep friend and, you know, beyond buddy. But, you know, just real intimate with God. And he says, I, I began to feel like I, I had outdefined God. And mm. I had, you know, maybe I, 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 I um had defined him so well and had pressed in so much to this intimacy that I almost had domesticated God. Mm. And I began to realize that God's bigger than that. And I found myself wanting something deeper and more mysterious than what I could explain. And, and that just impacted me so much that, you know, I began to think, I want a God who's bigger than my words can explain. I, I actually want to be confounded mm. at some point by God because if I can define him so precisely and if I can put him, in, you know, capture him with words, then what kind of God is he, you know, but a God of mystery, a God who's beyond my words. So, and I need, I need incense and cloud and mystery and symbol to try to get at something that's bigger than I can describe. That's a bigger God, and that's what he was wanting for. He, he was looking for a bigger God, a more mag, you know, magnified God than mm. what he had found in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. That, that was just brand new thoughts for me as a 20-something. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it really shaped me to, I think, hunger after God, and, and all, therefore I have a deeper appreciation for Roman Catholicism, Eastern yeah. Orthodox, Greek Orthodox uh, churches, Coptic, those kind of uh, churches. Yeah, and this is the, it, it's almost a catch-22 theologically for <laughs> us because I resonate with that. And there are times where I'm writing sermons where I'm like, I'll be caught up in worship because I'm like, God, yeah. the, there's no words. I remember actually Stephen Crockett preached a sermon out of Habakkuk where he said, he apologized from the pulpit. He said, I'm so sorry that I can't, 
used the right words to, to say to you. Because if we understood this correctly, we would we should all be on our faces. Yes, yes. And he's talking about the glory of God. Yes. And I was just wrecked by that because I I sense that deeply. You know, I'm yeah. as a part of my profession, I'm mm-hmm. called to to feed folks out of the word mm-hmm. using my words to unpack and apply mm-hmm. by the help of the Holy Spirit. But it's a it's it's a, like a foolish task to try to in some ways because what you're really trying to do is connect them to God. Yes, and yes. Like words are the only way you can do that. So yeah, yeah. But but words fail to to describe God, and yet, so so I I profoundly agree, um, and yet there's this beautiful truth that God, in a limited but abundantly accurate way reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus. And that, that I, I just, God is bigger than we could ever imagine. And yet he's powerful enough to show us what he's like. Well, and, and, and <laughs> if, if people are tracking with you, what you're saying right now and not just hearing nice words, because those mm. were very nice words, but if they're really deeply tracking with you, then that can give you a window into why it was so hard for first century Jews to imagine an incarnation. Yes. Because their view of God was so high, so holy, so other, so infinite and beyond. How dare you? And as strong as I can say that, how dare you suggest that that God could be limited by a human body? Mm. I, I appreciate that. You know, yeah. in a way, you know, they grasped more about who God is than people who are like, yeah, yeah, you know, God became man. You know, it's, it's what a beautiful thing. It's no big deal. Oh. It's a massive deal. Yeah. And they grasped how miraculous, how unbelievable it is for something like incarnation, the holy infinite other than God becomes flesh. Yes. It's it's a stunning statement. And we get way too comfortable with it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I, I can't agree more. I mean, I, and this is this is in a, in a sense in itself a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, how, how do we how do we reason through this? And believers have you know, by God's grace we we receive councils and, and we've had councils throughout the centuries as as a church mm-hmm. where uh, men have sought by God's grace to define to help put language to some of these things to help us you know <laughs> put boundaries on what what yeah. what we receive in the text and what we don't. And before that, uh, some of the we talked we laughed about Paul inventing words. This is yeah. why he was inventing words. Yeah, you know, in Ephesians at the end of Romans eight, he's he, he's stumbling over himself because he's so yeah. captured by the in Romans eight the love of God, mm-hmm. you know, and in Ephesians the majesty of God and the majesty of this plan of salvation to the church. He just, he runs out of words and you know and starts inventing things mm-hmm. you know, to try to somehow you know run on sentence after run on sentence because yeah. he's. He's literally overwhelmed at the task of trying to describe God in Christ and what he's done. Mm-hmm. That's what makes Paul's writing so fascinating. In, in the passage I'm preaching on this upcoming Sunday, it's the phrase, God made him who knew oh, no sin. Yes. Second Corinthians 5. To be sin. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're just like... Stunning what? phrase. Paul. Yes. What? Yes. Yes. Uh, but, and yet it's... it's uh, you know, that I've read some commentaries that are like, this is it. Like th- this is in one sentence, mm-hmm. this is it right mm-hmm. here. So I'm, I'm really excited to keep studying and unpack because Paul is, 
he's he's moving language to the to the edge of its capability yeah, yeah. to describe these yeah, realities. Yeah. Which so so all that to say, um, we are theologians and we love study, and yet uh, we can uh, we can still say art is helpful and important. Oh yeah, and so you know. And you, you have, I mean, some people may, may not know this, that you're an artist in your own right. Maybe not with, you know, pick your medium, yeah, but, uh, I'm not a painter, but you, you're a creative. Yeah, and so tell us, you know, how, how can we discern well when it comes to worship, whether that's worship songs or just the, the words that we use to describe God, because we, we, we don't want to just say this song makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Therefore it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, if, if something is helping you sense a connection with God, you know, I, I don't know. So, so help, help us walk yeah. through that. Yeah, that's one of the things I miss about being a church planter uh, is that when I was a church planter, I was both the preacher and the worship leader. Mm. And um, I would write the, the, the worship sets out of my times of worship with God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I'm trying to put songs together, you know, I would just start worshiping. And uh, as I'm worshiping God and crying and weeping and, you know, it just would lead to this next song. And, and as I worshiped, the set got kind of got written. And I, I loved writing those sets out of the worship. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now, sometimes I would write them out of, okay, this song goes to, you know, to the next key or this song has the same word, as, you know, same word hope in it. But... The best worship sets to me came out of my own intimate time of worship with God. Yeah, and so uh, on Sundays, I got to lead people in worship, which was this creative, uh, interactive uh, uh, um, um, drama. And the way I wrote wrote sets would, was that I would almost always try to create a drama where we are gathering together and and we're, we're celebrating. The, the the fun and the opportunity to gather in the presence of God, and then you know praise Him. Stage two is, is praising Him for His character and praising Him for what the Bible says, and then bringing in bringing to this intimacy, kind of the outer courts to the inner courts. Yeah, I tried to lead that drama from the outer courts to the inner courts every Sunday, and to bring people into this time of intimacy. We had more time as a church plant than we have here. And so once we got into the quote unquote the holy of holies, you know, we're interacting with God in some really cool ways. And, uh, you know, uh, we would just linger and do some intercession and prayer, and then end with celebration. And I loved designing that. I loved leading that. Um, and then I got to stand up and preach, and and you know, take people through a passage that was also a drama in itself. So. Creating these dramatic arcs uh, in writing the worship set and mm-hmm. the worship and the sermon, yeah, I, I got to engage with all the kinds of uh, you know creative opportunities, and um, maybe people don't realize, but when I'm writing a sermon, um, I, I, I'm trying to do, to um, describe this text. I'm trying to explain this text in a far more colorful and compelling way than just dry exegetical explanations right uh, that's why i make a distinction between exegetical preaching and expositional preaching mm. some people blur the line or exegetical preaching is i'm just explaining what the text says and that's wonderful that's fine it's just purely explanatory expositional preaching is i'm i'm bringing out i'm drawing out what the text is saying and so the text is more than explanation 
Yes. In exposition, I am explaining, but I'm bringing you into it. And I'm taking you on a journey that I've taken that week or the weeks before. And I'm every time I preach, I'm trying to bring people into the stunning revelation that I've experienced in my time with God. Mm. And, I, and I try to do that in a creative way that draws people in. And so, you know, maybe it's a way of, of designing the outline so that um, it's, it's, it captures people's attention. This past week, it was, the, the, the creative arc was starting the sermon by basically arguing that, you know, agreeing with the idea that reckless love is an inappropriate way to describe God. And so people who didn't, now you, you knew what I was doing, but people who didn't know what I was doing, they're like, yeah, you know, pastor, you know, agrees or, you know, pastor takes the position of, you know, reckless love is not worthy of God. You know, it's, he's much bigger than that. But then to, to almost, tr not, not trick them, but almost take them on this journey where we kind of discover, well, maybe reckless love is a good way to describe God. Mm. So that was a creative way of pre preaching about the reckless love. Right. or the unfailing love of God. Uh, it's not the only way to do it, but it was one of the ways that I applied my creative gifts to how I just, you know, uh, arranged the sermon. Mm -hmm. And people might be surprised how much time I spend at the end of the week on the outline, on trying <laughs> to to create an outline that's that that's not just logical and not just explanatory, but also is intriguing and creative and mm -hmm. draws people and creates tension. Uh, one of my um, foundational beliefs about preaching is that good preaching should should create some tension. And if you resolve the tension too soon, you that's when you lose people. Because once they know exactly where you're going, it's like, you know, unless they love preaching like you do, you know, you, know, you can know where I'm going and still and still enjoy it. Sure. But the average listener, once they once the tension is resolved, okay, I'm I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm not engaged. So to engage people, you create tension, and then, or at least maybe you don't create tension, but you try to bring them into the tension that's in the text. Right. And so as I'm just, you know interpreting the text, I'm looking for that tension. I'm looking for the drama. That's I'm, right. I'm looking for you know the revelation that God's given us. One of my favorite ways. To describe that, that I've, I discovered through tabletop gaming is... <laughs> I'm not sure what tabletop gaming is. Like, uh, like board games that okay, we board play. Game, board games, okay. Uh, is trying to find the dramatic question in this encounter. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that is... I literally, in my, in my, as I'm preparing, I'll write, what's the dramatic question? Yep, yep. Or what's the tension here? Yep, it's yep. the same, same concept, but yep. that's... Uh, yeah, I love it. And, um, and so... Um, I was just telling a story earlier today about a sermon that I preached where I had a person paint. Um, yeah. I was, I was preaching about the different um, levels of prophecy that, yep. that some of the Old Testament prophets, especially Isaiah, especially, would often um, give a, prof uh, a prophecy that had an immediate fulfillment, a kind of a mid-range fulfillment, and a distant fulfillment. And so there's, there's this immediate uh, historical fulfillment and then, uh, then like the book we were reading today, it, it talks about the, the fulfillment through the coming of Christ the first time. And then some, in some passages, there's a, a third level, and that's the uh, fulfillment when Christ comes again, what we call the second advent. Yeah. And so as I was preaching, this woman, this artist, woman artist, was, she, she painted, she started with the background, the mountains, and you know, distant, and 
shadowy and then mm-hmm. then she started coloring in and, and defining the, like a mid-range mountain that was more it was clearer and closer and then ultimately she began to fill in some of the, the, the outlines and shadows that she had you know created in the beginning that we realized that's a, a couple that's a couple of two people in the foreground yeah and so you realize when she was all done uh, it was almost like an epiphany when because she did it in such a way that it was like you know, okay stage one stage two stage three she she painted it in such a way that all three levels were happening and it was like at this one moment you realized oh there's three levels there and at that moment in my sermon i you know got to this this the point of this and so and this painting that uh her name was uh i lost her first name that's not tori uh her daughter anyway uh gimbin is her was her uh, her last name mm. um you know, and so there was this, you know, creative approach to trying to help us see how, um, yeah. how prophecy has multiple levels of fulfillment. And right. so sometimes it's a, you know, it's a, it's a picture, you know, that we'll put up on the screen. Um, you know, since I preach so often, uh, you know, if you only preach once a week or, 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 I mean, once a month or a couple of times a year, you, you have a lot more things that in your disposal. Like, for instance, I'm running out of stories these days. <laughs> Because I've preached at this church for twenty years, and people have heard all my stories. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you know, as I live, I have come more stories come up. But some of my best stories, I'm like, rats! I've already used that. You know, I can't use that again. <laughs> uh, but every once in a while, I will say, I know I've told this story before, but it's so good, I have to tell it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, to use story, to use um, uh, different ways of designing the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I was using clips from from films, you know, oh, yeah. creative ways to draw people in. Um, but I don't watch as many movies as I used to, so I don't do that. Plus, it just I found for some people it distracted them, and they got so caught up in the movie because oh, it's my favorite movie, or I can't stand the movie, or I I want to go see that. Now they're 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 um, tweeting or they're <laughs> searching. How do I see that movie? You know, yeah, yeah, is yeah. it on Netflix? Is it on you know whatever? So it, it became more of a distraction than right. it was a help. And so <laughs> uh, there's, just, you know, there's a thousand different ways mm-hmm. to be creative. And, and, uh, and for sure what you're describing is how Jesus approached oh, his teaching ministry. Absolutely. And there have been times in my life where I've been so frustrated with that. Like, Jesus, you, why didn't you just lay it all out? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's because in his goodness and in his, in his sovereignty, he knew... This is this is not. It's going to glorify me as you seek me, well, uh, or, or for and for lots of other reasons too. But. Yeah, one of the, the, the beautiful things about parables is, is that it, it would stick with you because there, mm-hmm. there was an unresolvedness yeah. about it, and Jesus would intentionally leave it kind of unresolved so you'd walk yeah. away and think about it. Mm-hmm. Strategic. Right. Our our relationship with God is not an intensive course where you go away for a weekend, get it all straightened out, and then go back to your life. Right. It's it's meant to be this. Thing. And this is what, one of the reasons why biblical meditation is such a key component to the Christian Good point. life. Good point. It, it's meant, we're we're meant to always be considering, chewing, yeah. it, and it, it's it's the shape that it forms in us over time that's significant. That's why you can't you can't just I'm going to do my devotions today. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> it, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, and when it comes to preaching, it's one of the reasons why I'm not afraid to agitate people mm-hmm. uh, and leave them agitated because. You know, like like two weeks ago, a bunch of people were agitated about the fact that I was talking about how you know we're enemies of God, 
And for some people, I heard later that they actually, when, when, I, when, when I preached that, they shut me down. They literally, one person said, I stopped listening when you said that because I was so upset about you mm. saying, even though it was right in the Bible, yeah. you know, that we're enemies of God. But it was, but that, when you agitate people like that um, with truth, it sticks with them. And I'm not afraid to do that. I, I don't want to make enemies. And I don't want to, I often say, I don't want to needlessly offend people. Right. But there is an offense of the gospel and there is a minor offense in um, provocative preaching, creative preaching that engages people. And I think that's part of what Jesus was doing with parables is he wanted them to think about it long after they, they had left his presence. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that I will you know, do things like, like spit on someone's hand and wipe it on their face like... Michael Todd did that. That one pre heard about that. I did in just briefly. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. Too provocative, like that. Yeah. you know. <laughs> but um, you know, there's there's limits to what you can do. But um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I don't. My aim is not to be a provocative preacher. Yeah. Um, my aim is to, you know, my life mission is to know God and to help people right. connect to God through His Word. That's that's my life vision to know God. And to help people, mission is to help people connect to God through his word. Absolutely. And so uh, whatever it takes to, to help them connect with him is what I want to do as a preacher. Yeah. Part of the reason I'm giggling is because I'm thinking of like Jeremiah. It's like if, if he was doing a preaching clinic, he did some pretty Take all his clothes things. off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, was that Isaiah? No. Uh, I can't, but some of the prophets, as they Hosea delivered yeah. messages, yeah, Hosea, uh, or uh, even some of the things that Jesus said, were offenses that were not so minor to when it comes to the Pharisees. But, <laughs> but the point here, of course, is, is what what your uh, what, what you just said is that we're we're trying to go to whatever lengths we can to describe mm-hmm. the beauty and mm-hmm. the goodness and the truth of God. Amen. And those three, sometimes I'll I'll use them in tandem because that sums up in many ways what we're. What, that that's what we're seeking something that's that's good yeah. beautiful and oh, true yes. and that's who God is mm-hmm. so maybe one last um one last little question or point uh which is that y- you you said in your sermon obviously it's a sermon generally about God's unfailing love and you talked about God's faithfulness and as an element of that mm-hmm. toward the end of the mm-hmm. sermon and you said God is faithful first and foremost, to his own character. Yes. And, yes. and I, the reason I want to end here is, is for two reasons. Number one, because it's a beautiful point. But number two, because you know we, we, we need not forget that just because language is limited does not mean that there's not absolute truth when it comes to God's character. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, it, we, it's, this is a great tension to live in, yes. but, but it, we need not, we need it not to detract from God's faithfulness to himself and his ability to reveal himself and the fact that he is good and true. And so it's so so tell us why is it important that God is faithful first and foremost to his own character? Yeah. Uh, I think my the first thought that comes to my mind is because that's the that's a foundation that, that's unshakable. It's yeah, it's immutable. Um, it's not shifting, it's not changing, it's it's not something that you know, about the time I grasped it, it, it shifts to something else, it changes to something else. You know, that's why the Bible describes God as a rock. You know, it's that unmovable, unshakable force. Yeah. And so, um, you know, everything else is fluid in our world. Everything else is changing. 
uh, but God is consistent. And so if, if he's consistent to his character, if he's faithful to his character, okay, I can trust that. You know, I can trust God. I know this is a cliche phrase, but I love it so much. You know, when you can't uh, see God's hand, you can trust his heart. I think that's mm. how it goes. And that can be sentimental, but I, it's worked for me because I can't see all the time what God is doing. But I've come to trust him because he's, he's faithful. He's trustworthy. Mm. And, you know, in, even though sometimes God does things that, that I'm so upset about, like, really? That's what you decided to do? Okay, well, I, I, I'm going to resolve my upsetness by trusting you. Yeah. I trust your sovereignty. I trust your wisdom. I trust your love. I trust your plan. I trust your character. You always do what is good. And if you don't have that standard, if you don't have that foundation, then, I mean, you're trusting in, you know, you're not trusting in anything. You're trusting in your perception of things. Yeah. And, um, and there, are, there will be times in everybody's life where everything is so upset, everything is so confusing, everything is so up for grabs that you have to have a stability, a foundation, a, a standard that you can come back to. And that's the character of God. Mm. And God is always faithful to his character. Yeah. And so that, that's my knee-jerk to that, to that question. And, um, yeah. And, yeah. Thank, and thank God for his word where he reveals mm -hmm. his faithfulness. And, that's right. And I think that's one of the reasons why God keeps talking about how I'm a, my faithful love endures forever. You know, and, and why people who come to know God and grasp his revelation say, talk about his faithfulness. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's that's a firm foundation for us to build Amen. Amen. our lives on. You know, and this is why we get so many songs about you know whether it's "Build My Life" or "Firm Foundation" <laughs> or you know "Faithful Father" on Christ right? the Solid Rock. I stand <laughs> like all this all this language yeah. that we use because generation after generation, folks have found mm -hmm. that the love, the steadfast love of God, endures forever. Is there when when nothing else is, Amen. and so. May we be a people who trust in the unfailing love of God Amen. and who, who who live on it as a as a bedrock. That's a great place to end right there. It is. That's it a is. Wonderful phrase. So uh, <laughs> thanks, you guys, uh, for those of you who are joining us for this conversation. We pray that it's ministering to you as it is to us. If you appreciated this podcast, we, we just ask that you would give us a like or, or give us a, a review to let us know that God is moving in your life through these conversations. And uh, until next week. We will sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.